So the big question is this, how do value-obsessed leaders ascend their business and life to world-class levels of effectiveness, even if they're inside a bureaucracy or starting from scratch with absolutely no capital? That is the question, and this podcast is going to bring you the answer. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is the Terminal Value Podcast. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Roy Osing with us today. And what we're going to be talking about is actual personal and business business differentiation. differentiation. Uh, So Roy's website is bedifferentorbedead.com. But before we get too deep in the conversation, Roy, it sounds like you have a book that's coming out. Isn't that correct? Or that has come out. Yes, really exciting. Uh, Yesterday on May the 31st, my seventh book called Be Different or Be Dead, The Audacious and Unheard of Ways I Took a Startup to a Billion in Sales is out available for everybody. And yeah, boom, let's get this. All right. Well, okay. So I can only assume that taking a startup to a billion in sales involved some differentiation. So I feel like there's going to be some, some <laughs> crossover here. So just give us like the 30 second version or maybe, maybe how's this sound? Give us like the two minute version of taking your startup. Cause you basically say, Hey, I have this idea to, it's a business to, it's a real business to, Oh my goodness. It's a huge business. Well, it's, it wasn't a startup in the classic sense. In other words, it was a young business in the telecom world that was just starting to grow from the internet perspective. So it was a data and internet company. And basically I was asked to take it and make it successful in a world that was dominated by engineering and voice applications yeah. into a world that is dominated by marketing, sales, customer service, and data applications. And so that whole breakaway journey is the story of be different or be dead. Okay, excellent. So let's unpack that a little bit because what we're really talking about is differentiation. And think, you know, again, you can take that in, in the direction of your career or your business. I think it's the similar principles of both. But tell us what are some of the things that you have found are really you know are the keys to effective differentiation? Because you know, I, I think you're just about everybody has kind of their own personality, but not every differentiation strategy sticks. And so the, the the kind of the real question we're trying to get to is how do you create and implement a strategy that will stick and create meaningful results? Yeah. So to be honest, I think most businesses today do a mediocre job of defining what makes them special and unique. Uh-huh. And, and all you need to do, Doug, is look at their statements. They claim that they're better. They yeah. claim that they're best. They claim that they're number one. Reality is it's meaningless. Yeah. Okay. So I've had to come up with this notion that I call the only statement. Okay. The uh-huh. only statement is a really simple concept that says we are the only ones that. It's a binary statement. Uh-huh. It either exists or it doesn't. You can observe it. You can prove it. You can test it. And so one of the, the things that I talk about with clients and people is to figure out what you're only at. Okay. Uh-huh. And if you can do that, you've got the basis for an incredibly powerful differentiation claim. And from a career point of view, it's the same thing. When you're up against you know, people for the same job and somebody says, Doug, yeah. why should I hire you? What you need to be able to say is, well, you should hire me because I'm the only one that boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's been extremely powerful. It was extremely powerful business, building a business and extremely powerful uh, creating this difference between what most of the world tries to do, which is quite frankly, bland and and doesn't really stand out 
And what will we try to do? And so the only statement is kind of like my silver bullet in terms of differentiation. All right. Well, let's see. Let's talk about how we get down to that only statement. I mean, because the, the way that I think about this, you know, it's I'm actually kind of thinking about it in correlation to say like you know, some of yeah, a lot of Dan Kennedy's work where he says, you know, essentially, you know, become a niche of one. So in other words, you want to define your customer base and your business so essentially so that you can you know, essentially winnow out all the competition so that you are interacting precisely with the people who are looking for precisely what you are the only person that provides in a particular combination. Yeah, well, this this is a little broader than that in the sense that okay. you know, you're referring to what, what's referred to in old school as one-to-one marketing. Yeah. I call it going nose-to-nose with a customer. The only statement is a bit broader in the sense that it starts out with a really clear understanding of the customer groups that you want to serve, Ah. looking at the competition in those groups, and then comes up with what do they care about? Like you want to be the only one that does something that people care about, right? Like I've known a lot of, I've seen a lot of claims where their only statement really uh, relates to something that people don't care about. And that's pretty deadly. (laughs) You don't want to be the only one that does something that nobody cares about. I think we may be getting to the tricky part here, which is that because it's not just getting to an only that people care about, but it's getting to an only that people care about that somebody else is not already serving or is not already serving in the same way. That's yeah. a definition of only. What yeah, I'm exactly. To you is if you say you're only, you are the only one that, but what I'm saying is it needs to go further. It needs to address what people care uh-huh. about in a compelling and relevant way. Okay. If it doesn't do that, then clearly it won't be a sustaining a competitive claim. The issue we have here is that very few people get it this way. Huh? Okay. They try and market one-to-one, but the business hasn't figured out what makes them special so yeah. that you create that context within which one-to-one actually makes sense. And so the work I do says, okay, we're starting with, we need a strategic context for the business that is built around the only, and then we create the strategy and everything else that flows from that, from that particular statement. Let me give you an example. Yeah. I worked with not-for-profit company, like this works for everybody, right? So this is an ambulance company called St. John Ambulance that they say, St. John Ambulance is the only first aid advocate that provides safety solutions, not products, they're not product floggers, anywhere or anytime. Now just imagine that. They're basically, and it's true, you can call them up with an issue and they will not flog products. They will try and figure out what the solution is. And you can contact them depending on where you are, doesn't matter, or whatever time. So it's a really powerful statement and there's nobody else that comes close to that. And so it's been very successful for them, right? They don't say better. They don't say best. They don't say premium. Mm -hmm. They don't say we've been here a hundred years. Who cares? Yeah. Say they're the only ones, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that, yeah, it's, you know, get, getting to that only, it's like you said, you know, it's not something you want to do cavalierly, but I think it's really important. And so what are some of the things that you found are the most effective ways for kind of going through the mental process to get to that relevant only statement? So the process is pretty simple. Okay. In the sense, it's not, it's a simple process. Most simple things are easy. <laughs> the outcomes, yeah, difficult to get to. But, you know, it starts out with, do you really understand who you're trying to serve? Like I had to create a strategic game plan process, which we could talk about in another show if you want, but it's completely different than what I would call pedantic, you know, stereotypical, you know, strategic planning processes. It starts out with, do you really understand who you want to serve? The who selection is important because that's where you're going to get your growth. So you need to be really clear that this isn't a mass market game. To your point earlier, you're trying to get closer and closer to smaller sub-segments of the market. So if you understand that, 
The next thing is you need to clearly map out what they care about. I keep going back to that, not what they need, Doug. This isn't an issue of, of needs because yeah. everybody is in the need space. And typically what happens is price gets to be really important and you get driven to commodity and blah, blah, blah. Margins yeah. suck. Who yeah. cares, right? So you need to have a, what I call an only caring map. So you literally put on a page what they care uh-huh. about. And then you look at and say, all right, relative to the capabilities of my organization, which are the caring elements do I want to address to be able to create that claim? And it's through that process, you actually come up with literally, you know, a four or five, not not any any longer than five lines mm-hmm. of a statement that is a draft. And that's the other important thing I want to say to your viewers or listeners. The only statement is forever a draft. And the reason for that is yeah. as soon as you lock and load on it, the world changes and you better be prepared to change with it. All right. We've been taught to get it done and move on to something else. Well, in the only world, it doesn't work that way. You get it just about done and you keep working with it over time and refine it. So it's a very simple process, right? It's not, yeah. it's not supported by like decades of formulas and everything else, because that's all bullshit, quite frankly. It's based on what I did and what yeah. worked for me to get to a building. Simple stuff. Mm-hmm. Got it. Well, I think that really investing the time into fully understanding who you're targeting and more importantly, as you said, what they care about, not what they need, what they care about, because what people care about and what they need a lot of times will be different because I think the things that people need in a lot of cases will be things that can be served by a lot of different people, but the things that they care about will very frequently be unique to them. And a lot of times will be tied to kind of their personal identity and psychology. And so what I feel like I'm hearing you saying, I would say, you know, that effectively harnessing that uh, really means you need to understand what is it that's linking, you know, kind of what those personal psychology linkages are, and then orienting your business around those for the purpose of outreach and attracting clients. You know, yeah, am I, mean, I getting close I mean, or there are any gaps? Oh yeah, no, 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 extremely close. I mean, like I talk about this continuum between yep. needs and, and I'm going to call cravings. Yep. So I'm in the cravings, but we all need to be in the cravings business. Now, the interesting thing is very few people are, which means if you can figure it out, you're going to get two benefits. You're going to be the only one playing in that space. And secondly, you're going to get premium prices because yep. people pay more money for cravings, satisfaction yep. than you needs, right? And your bottom line performance goes up. Make no mistake, everything that I've done, pretty crazy, wild ideas have all been driven for one thing, and that is to increase the performance of the organization. So if the only statement is more than just a cool way to look at differentiation, it actually works and drives significant yeah. line revenue, right? The other thing I will say to you is in the selection of the customers you want to serve, they have to have the latent demand potential to drive, which is really the starting process in my planning yeah. methodology, which is how big do you want to be, which is a question about growth. And it's a 24-month horizon. It says, Doug, you're at 10 million now. Where do you want to be in 24 months? Not two years, 24 months, because I want to keep your focus on execution because that's Mm -hmm. the element in all of this in terms of business growth and success is how do you execute better? And so with those things combined, you can actually create what I call a heading west organization 
which is about as precise as you need to be, because as soon as you, as I said earlier, as soon as you lock and load, things change and, and you need to change as well. And, you know, because you're, if you're talking about a 24 month plan, then presumably every three to six months, you would want to be reassessing that. And based on the progress you've made, what does that 24 month goalpost look like now? Because, yeah. you know, as time goes by, it should move. So I take the 24 months and I make it even more granular. 24 months is 24 30 day periods. Okay. That's the way you look at your plan, which yep. means you look at this, this stuff every 30 days, if not more frequently, because you have to. Yeah. If you don't, what happens is you think things are going well, they're not. Yeah. And so your execution falters. And so it's one thing to have a plan, right? It's another thing to really bear down on execution. I've had to create a planning process that is really built to execute. And so the <laughs> way I look at the world is not from a traditional planning point of view. It says, what are, what are the fundamentals here yeah. that I need to get right to allow me to hit the bricks running? Because I can take a mediocre plan and if I execute it really, really well, I can beat the pants off you if you're sitting there trying to make your plan pristine, right? To yeah. satisfy the planning pundits, which I get very little use for because nothing gets done with the intellect, Doug. It gets yeah. done with fire in the belly and passionate turned on people, right? That are committed yeah. to a particular end yeah. state. Yeah. Well, I mean, and because, you know, if, and again, because, you know, my corporate background was in finance. And so finance people tend to be pretty uh, meticulous planners. But, you know, fundamentally, what a plan is really about is to say, okay, which direction are we headed? How ish do we think we're going to do it? And then what's our response going to be based on the most likely known uncertainties? At least that's kind of what I call an 80% plan. So, you know, I'm also a Marine Corps veteran. Uh, one of the principles they have in the Marines, some people call it the 70% rule. Some people call it the 80% rule. But the, the idea is that you make a decision when you have 70 to 80% of the relevant information. And in fact, it also means that you need to cover the most important 70 to 80% with your plan, understanding that the rest you're going to have to improvise along the way. Because yeah. you, if you try to get that last 30%, you know that will take probably 10 times as long as that first 70 to 80%. Well, and that's totally consistent with my experience. However, I would go a little further and say there are times where you make a decision based on whatever information you have available because you <laughs> right? don't have time to wait for 80% of it. My Correct. life has been literally in that thing. I would love to have gone like this, time out for 30 days while I gather more information. Sometimes you just can't do it. So you make the call. It's called what I call planning on the run. You make the yep. call, you start to execute, you learn from that as quickly as you can and make whatever adjustments along the way. So we're totally in sync with that. But as I say, I wish I wish I had the capability to sort of talk, stop time and gather more info. But, you know, as you know, sometimes it's just not there yeah. for you. So you, you take yeah. your best shot. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I think the stricture of that paradigm, the idea is that's meant to be in a structured decision-making process. Because yeah, you know, if you're talking about like a, a field decision-making process, again, you know, I don't want to over-militarize the analogies, you know, but it's like, you know, if you're actively being shot at, you don't have time for structured <laughs> decision-making. You know, you're, if you're taking fire, you have to figure out how you're going to re-influence your situation so that you're in a less precarious environment. You know, you essentially yeah. have to make your decisions based on whatever information you have, be it 1% or 100%. Whereas, it, yeah, it, go ahead. See, I, I would suggest to you that leaders need to, to think of themselves in that operational environment yeah. all the time, because there's too many of them out there that believe that the world has structure. <laughs> it doesn't have structure. Yeah. And so it would be really nice, right, to say, well, we're going to do a three, four day, five day retreat, create our strategy blah, 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 blah. 
and then then walk away from it. And I've seen leaders dump it on the organization and actually have the mistaken impression that it's going to work and that people will get it. Yeah. Like we need a focus on operational leadership because that's where the results come from. Yeah. That's where survival comes from, as you know. So don't ever give up on that. That, my friend, represents the gist of a good plan. Like, for example, yeah. I'm a 2080 guy. Like I spent 20 of my time thinking about, well, where west do we want to go? And 80% of the time thinking about how the hell are we going to, are we going to move there given the roadblocks and competition and changing customer requirements that we're going to face. So the world is too much left brained, Doug. They spend too much time trying to impose structure and formulas on a world that cannot be formularized, cannot be structured. And if you think it can be structured, you're fooling yourself and all of your employees and your customers. Well, I, I love it. And uh, I feel like we I feel like we're going to need a follow-up episode on operational leadership because Boom. that is that is a beautiful underappreciated topic because you know operations doesn't sell books. What sells books is weird ideas, catchy titles and counterintuitive stuff. But the thing that yeah, you know, the thing that gets you from here to there is, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and just really I would say disciplined but flexible operational leadership. I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that and I'd love to do a piece on that. We're going to need more than 30 minutes, my friend. <laughs> right. They need to be, <laughs> may end up being a two-parter. <laughs> All right. Well, well, hey, Roy. So I think we already mentioned your website. I think that's bedifferentorbedead.com. Are there any other social accounts or any other places where people can connect with you, learn a little more, get your newsletter, et cetera? Yeah. All you got to do is Google me. You'll find out all my social media stuff. Uh, the website, I would suggest it's a one, come and visit me on my website. Mm-hmm. I've tried yeah. to create it as a, as a resource for people. So it, it has pages on my books. It has pages on what people are saying about the work I do. I blog every week on this. So you yeah. can go in there and search on leadership, audaciousness, and you'll, you'll find blog articles that I've written. Uh, and the other thing, Doug, is, and I don't want to underestimate this, it's like it's roy.osing at gmail.com. And I'm yeah. happy. And I'm happy and privileged, feel privileged to have a one-on-one with people. Outstanding. To talk about this stuff. I have people sending me their draft only statements, Doug, and I want you to send me it as well. Yeah. Let's have a conversation around that. That's the way you make the changes. All like right. I have this vision that says the, the, the bubble and the mass in a distribution, normal distribution curve, if we could move that slightly to the right yeah. towards only differentiation and a way of thinking about be different, can you imagine the changes that we will make in the world? Oh, it, and so that's yeah. my mission. Just keep banging away at it one at a time, getting them out of the dark side of crowds and herds and similarity into the bright side of differences, uniquenesses, and being special. That's my mission. Outstanding. Well, hey, Roy, I really appreciate your time today. You're very welcome and look forward to having another conversation, Doug. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Terminal Value Podcast. Please feel free to visit me online at www.terminalvalue.biz where you can subscribe, find me on social, and then we can connect and just keep the conversation going. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you and I hope you have a wonderful day. All rights reserved. No part of this broadcast may be produced in any form by any means without written permission from Business of Light, LLC. All trademarks and brands referred to herein are the property of their respective owners.